from Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. While decisions are made in Washington that take food and cash from working families, people speak out at three days of rallies to raise the wage. In my job as a social worker, I've seen mothers return to work at two weeks postpartum. Two weeks to a minimum wage job with zero benefits that doesn't care about that mother and that family. For all those in this room that have given birth, you know that is what it looks like when society has given up. When we aren't even doing the bare minimum for those birthing our children. And there is escalation and not de-escalation in the U.S. proxy war against Russia in Ukraine. We'll catch up with the latest on the conflict with Gerald Horn. This conflict is tending to spiral out of control. It's not hyperbolic to suggest that if trends continue, we may be on the verge of World War III and a catastrophe so enormous that it's difficult to contemplate. All that and more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, voices of resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. Well, the Senate voted Thursday to raise the U.S. debt ceiling by agreeing to a deal that increases military spending but imposes new work requirements on older Americans to receive food assistance, cuts funds for IRS enforcement, and ends the moratorium on student loan repayments. And as we reported last week, tucked into this package is a loosening of the permitting process for fossil fuel projects and a fast track for construction of the controversial Mountain Valley Pipeline. The MVP is that fracked gas project backed by Senator Joe Manchin that would carry gas 300 miles from the Marcellus Shale fields in West Virginia across hundreds of streams and wetlands to Virginia. Members of the Progressive Caucus in both the House and Senate voted against the deal. Senator Bernie Sanders was one of those who opposed and spoke out on the Senate floor on Thursday. Madam President, at a time when climate change is by far the most existential threat that this country has perhaps and this world have ever faced. I cannot in good conscience vote for a bill that makes it easier for fossil fuel companies to pollute and destroy the planet by fast-tracking the disastrous Mountain Valley Pipeline. When the future of the world and the lives of our kids and grandchildren is literally at stake, we must have the courage to stand up to the fossil fuel industry and tell them and the politicians they sponsor that the future of this planet is more important than their short-term profits. Rights advocates are warning about government repression of peaceful protest after three board members of an Atlanta group that offers bail support for arrested protesters were arrested themselves in a military-style raid and charged with money laundering and charity fraud. Marlon Scott Coutts, Savannah Patterson, and Adele McLean are members of the Atlanta Solidarity Fund, which has in recent months offered bail support for dozens of protesters arrested while demonstrating against construction of the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center, also known as Cop City. The $90 million project would take over 85 acres of public parkland. 
Since January 18th of this year, when police shot to death one of the protesters, Manuel Esteban Pace Tehran, also known as Tortuguita, 30 people have been arrested and charged with domestic terrorism for allegedly damaging property and trespassing while protesting Cop City. Hannah Riley, a writer and organizer, told the Huffington Post, quote, when three community organizers who help to run a bail fund are arrested with an entire SWAT team on clearly bogus financial charges, it signals that not only is it illegal to protest, it is also illegal to try and support people who have been criminalized for protesting. End quote, she said. The right to strike in the United States could be endangered by a Supreme Court ruling on Thursday. The court ruled in favor of the Glacier Northwest Concrete Company, which sued the Seattle area Teamsters Local 174 in 2017. After workers went on strike, leaving wet concrete in mixer trucks in a manner that the company claims could have damaged the trucks. The Washington State Supreme Court agreed with the workers that the lawsuit violated the National Labor Relations Act, which protects the right to strike. But the Supreme Court just reversed the lower court decision, allowing this lawsuit against the workers to proceed. Justice Katanji Brown Jackson was the sole voice of dissent, writing that the ruling could, quote, erode the right to strike and make workers responsible for an employer's property. She wrote, quote, what Glacier seeks to do here is to shift the duty of protecting an employer's property from damage or loss incident to a strike onto the striking workers. In my view, doing that places a significant burden on the employee's exercise of their statutory right to strike, unjustifiably undermining Congress's intent. End quote, she wrote. In environmental news, a new report in the peer-reviewed journal Nature says that seven of the eight boundaries established to measure the health of the planet have been breached, meaning that the planet is, quote, really quite sick right now, end quote. The seven areas of planet health include global mean surface temperature change since the pre-industrial era, surface water flows, and groundwater levels. Fifty scientists worked on the report, which says that, quote, nothing less than a global transformation is required to ensure human well-being, end quote. Our Science Minute this week looks at one attempt at conservation. The seven states that rely on the Colorado River for power and drinking water have reached a deal on cuts to keep the drought-stricken river flowing. Three states, Arizona, California, and Nevada, have agreed on a plan to conserve at least 3 million acre-feet of water by 2026. The Biden administration, which helped broker the agreement, announced the consensus deal in a news release. Seven states that rely on the Colorado River were on the precipice of crisis after decades of overuse. Before a banner winter snowfall, officials grew concerned as dams at Lake Mead and Lake Powell near Deadpool status, when flows would be cut off to lower regions of the river as water levels dropped too low to pass through the dams. About 40 million people rely on the Colorado River for drinking water. Utilities depend on it to generate electricity at dams on Lake Mead and Lake Powell 
and keep power flowing in several states. The deal could avert the near-term crisis and put the states on a more sustainable trajectory for water use. For On the Ground Science Minute, this is Michael Byfield. And finally, in culture and media, Chantel James reports on a D.C. celebration for African Liberation Day. The Asada Shakur study group continued with an African Liberation Day offering held in person at 1DC's Black Workers and Wellness Center. This conversation, Internationalism, Malcolm X, and African Liberation Day, highlighted Malcolm X in the particular context of his reaching across the diaspora to draw connections with the struggles of Africans globally. Connections were drawn with the over-policing and racial oppression faced right there in Southeast Washington, D.C., and the fight against colonialism and neocolonialism on the continent of Africa and elsewhere. Archival footage and recordings that placed the radical tradition in history were shared, and the community dialogue that emerged was robust. A community member who chose not to be named eloquently put Malcolm X in conversation with Du Bois and others in reaction to hearing him speak. Double consciousness coined by W.B. Du Bois is the irreconcilable inner conflict that the quote-unquote African-American has in this country. Well, you cannot by definition be both African and American at the same time. I could go on and on, but the main thing is double consciousness coined by W.E.B. Du Bois. The thing that I just kept hearing and um, thank you. Several organizations collaborated to bring this discussion to the community. Pan-African Community Action, or PACA, African Liberation Day, or ALD, Black Lives Matter DC, Malcolm X Grassroots Movement DC, and the Stop Police Terror Project. For more info on what's up next for the Asada Shakur study group, keep up with Paka DMV on social media. For On the Ground, this is Chantal James. And last but not least, Gerald Horn, On the Ground's geopolitical analyst, is launching his latest book, Revolting Capital, Racism and Radicalism in Washington, D.C., 1900 to 2000, on Saturday, June 3rd, 6 to 9 p.m., at the all-new Festival Center, 1640 Columbia Road Northwest in Washington, D.C., as a fundraiser for WPFW Pacifica Radio. Get your tickets in advance at wpfwfm.org. More with Gerald Horn later in the show. And those are our headlines and happenings. Up next, voices of workers to raise the wage. Stay with us. Welcome to D.C.
Saludo. Hi, everyone. It is an honor and a privilege to be here with all of you today. My name is Annie, and I work at the REI store in Durham. Just one week ago today, our store voted in an NLRB election to unionize. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. We are so proud to be the sixth REI store to do so, and the first REI to unionize in the South. (laughs) And I'm happy to say we will not be the last. In the 12 years that I've been working at the Durham REI, I've watched the cost of living rise around me and my coworkers. Through organizing to build our union, I learned of coworkers who, because of hourly cuts to scheduling, found themselves unable to pay for their groceries and their pets' food. I learned of coworkers struggling to pay their rent or living in their cars. It should not be that people have to decide whether to eat or pay their bills today. We unionized not only to increase our pay and hours to match the rising cost of living, but to have an active role in shaping our working conditions. We've been a community long before we started to unionize at Durham, and now we are internally organized. We have the power to fight for a safe working environment, consistent hours, and the affordable health care we need. (laughs) REI has a guiding company value, and that is we go further together. In the Durham store, me and my coworkers believe this. And we believe it not only for ourselves, we want a living wage for all workers. Yeah. 
We support lifting up the baseline that employers are required to pay to ensure that nobody is stuck choosing between groceries and rent. We support lifting up the baseline so that those of us with years of experience in our fields can have the opportunity to earn more. We shouldn't work for a company for more than a decade and still live paycheck to paycheck. When we raise the floor, we all benefit. It's an honor to share this stage with so many fellow activists and change makers who are holding all of our employers to account. We are super excited at REI Durham to begin negotiating our contract and watch our REI union movement continue to expand coast to coast, north to south. Thank you all for the support we've felt from our customers, the Greater Triangle, members across the country, and to Senator Sanders himself. We really do go further together. Thank you. Now please welcome Chris Stardy. My name is Chris Darty, and I'm a member of the Union of Southern Service Workers. Thank you. I'm proud to say we are organizing with other service workers all across the South. We're not just demanding fair pay. We're demanding safety, respect, and a voice on the job. I work at Spring Hill Suites by Marriott in Durham, and I make $13 an hour. Let's be honest, $13 an hour is not a livable wage. I'm not able to be independent. I'm not able to pay or afford rent, so I have to live with my mother. The cost of rent is skyrocketing all across Durham. I'm single, I do not have a wife or children, but I'm still struggling off $13 an hour. One thing about my fellow workers who are living off minimum wage and raising their kids, really, it's impossible. So I want to ask, why is Congress allowing these corporations to pay us unlivable wages? Congress has the obligation of, yes. Yes. Congress has an obligation to do the right things for workers like me. They need to make it easier for us to unionize. And they must raise the minimum wage to a true living wage. Congress, raise the minimum wage now. Right now. Thank you.
please welcome Anne Fields and her two little helpers. Good evening. My name is Anne. I am the enormously proud mother of two spunky, curious, and energetic girls. My name, Anne, pronounced Anne, is the Turkish word for mother. This is the most important job I will ever have. My partner and their father is Turkish and an immigrant. Together, we have built a business literally out of our backyard. He has worked just about every job you can imagine, and many in this food industry making $2.50 an hour to reach this dream. I remember when Ada was born, two weeks later, I found out my pay in the public school system was getting cut. That very same day, our refrigerator died, and Ada had to be rushed to the hospital for an MRI. Ozan was back to working evening shifts, shifts the week she was born. We were navigating all these systems that were failing us. I had severe perinatal depression, anxiety, and OCD. I am a survivor and it is the hardest battle I've ever fought. We got through this period with help from our fr family, friends, and I know I'm out on the other side because of my privilege. Many are not afforded that. We need a system that supports everyone. Most... <laughs> Most people in the U.S. are one paycheck's worth of an unforeseen expense away from being unhoused. We need a solid foundation for our babies to grow and flourish. If we don't even value those taking care of our infants, then what do we value? I think we all know you can't survive and definitely cannot thrive on $7.25 an hour. Why am I here tonight speaking about this? I am able to scrape together enough to shell out over half of my paycheck to daycare each month because all the mamas making $7.25 an hour are at their second job right now. In my job as a social worker, I've seen mothers return to work at two weeks postpartum. Two weeks to a minimum wage job with zero benefits that doesn't care about that mother and that family. For all those in this room that have given birth, you know that is what it looks like when society has given up. When we aren't even doing the bare minimum for those birthing our children, we can do better. How? By paying our childcare workers at least $17 an hour. How am I paying so much for childcare and they are paid so little? Does that sound like a rigged system to you? Yes. <laughs> That's because it is a rigged system, benefiting those that aren't even in this room tonight. So we have to stand up and stand out. I believe in a living wage for everyone. I believe in universal childcare. I believe it doesn't have to be this hard. I believe we can take care of each other. So to all you mothers, grandmothers, fathers, papas, babas, mommies, and abuelos out there tonight, we can take care of each other. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now please welcome Venus Sanders. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. 
and the community of Durham. My name is Vena Sanders, and it is a pleasure to be here speaking in front of all of you today. We all have the same thoughts and concerns. We would like for minimum wages to be raised. We are tired of living off of 50 cents an hour. I had the pleasure back in April to speak with Bernie Sanders and Senator Bob Casey at a town hall meeting in Washington, D.C. last April at a CARE summit. Um, to reflect back on the speech that I had with Bernie Sanders at the town hall meeting, I felt that Bernie Sanders and Senator Bob Casey was very thoughtful and concerned about the low minimum wages that the average American make. We have no health care benefits. As previous speakers have spoke, we are working two or three jobs just to put extra food on the table. We have to decide if we're going to pay the cable bill this month, the rent, the water, the car payment, put new shoes on our kids' feet because they have gotten too small. I'm sick and tired of, at the age of 55 having to work two jobs. I should be able to work a full-time job, have full-time benefits, have a job that is willing to invest in my retirement plans. If I work an extra job at retirement age, it should be because I want to, not because I have to, and that is a difference. Wanting to go on vacation, wanting to take my children or my grandchildren to Disney World, wanting to be able to put all of my children through college to give them a good college education. So with that being said, I myself do support Bernie Sanders on this campaign to go to all through America to fight and to speak, to let America know and the government know that we are no longer working for five cents an hour. It is time that Washington, D.C. put some respect on our names and some respect on our check. As simple as that. So once again, I would like to thank you all for coming out with the support of Bernie Sanders and to support our fellow neighbors and our communities to make life better, not only here in Durham, North Carolina, but across the United States of America. Thank you. Now, please welcome Durham County Commissioner Nida Alam. Good evening, Bull City. I said, Good evening, Bull City. Are we all fired up, ready to go? My name is Nitha Alam. I am a proud CWA union member, a proud mom, and I'm proud as hell to serve Durham every day as your county commissioner. But as proud as I am to be here tonight in beautiful historic Haiti, I have to say we shouldn't have to be here. It shouldn't take a rally for employers to treat their workers with dignity. It shouldn't take a national campaign for legislators to make a fair living wage a reality. 
It shouldn't take hearing it from a microphone for the media to pay attention to service workers and care workers, the backbone of our economy and society. And I see a lot of people in the crowd tonight who agree. So listen up. I want us to do something together really quickly. I want you to raise your hand and raise it high if you've ever worked a really tough job. Mm -hmm. And I want you to keep your hand up if you showed up every day and worked your ass off, no matter the circumstances. And keep your hand up if even when there were obstacles, you tried your best to treat everyone in your workplace with decency and respect because you knew at the end of the day, we were in this together. Keep your hand up if you've had to stretch your paychecks to cover rent and groceries and medical bills because the cost of living gets higher and higher every year. And keep your hand up if you're tired of working so damn hard when the state doesn't work for you. That's right. We know the dignity of labor. We know what it's like to show up every day for a job. And we are here tonight because the state is not doing its job. The state is not doing its job when one in five North Carolinian children are living in poverty. The state is not doing its job when the minimum wage has been stagnant in North Carolina for 14 years. The state is not doing its job when the wage, that wage is $7.25 an hour and what we need to make a living income in Durham County is now $23 an hour. Forget, forget doing its job, the state isn't even clocking in, and that's a choice. Inequality is a policy choice. It's a choice to disinvest from communities of color and let gentrification drive out generations of families and businesses. It's a choice to defund public education and keep our children from learning their own history. It's a choice to let single parents work two, three, four jobs just to put food on the table. And we are here to demand better. And I'm proud of the work that we've done from the commissioner's office to raise the minimum wage in Durham for Durham County employees to $15 an hour. But $15 an hour was only the beginning. We need a fair living wage all across the country, and we need it now. We, we need a state that actually acknowledges the dignity of labor, that does its job so that we can do ours. Venus Sanders is here tonight to demand it. Mama Cookie is here tonight to demand it. Annie is here tonight to demand it. Ann Fields is here tonight to demand it. Reverend Barber is here tonight to demand it. Bernie Sanders is joining us tonight to demand it. And together, all of us will rise up and demand it for every worker in North Carolina and across the country. Because when labor rights are under attack, what do we do? Stand up like that. When working families are under attack, what do we do? When Durham County is under attack, what do we do? Let's stand up and fight back tonight, Durham. Thank you. Thank you. Now, please put your hands together.
for Bishop William J. Barber II, founding director of the Center for Public Theology and Public Policy at Yale Divinity School. Forward together. Forward together. You are what the greedy aristocracy, particularly in the South, are afraid of. I want you to look at this room. Dr. King said, standing on the steps of the Alabama State House, at the end of the Selma to Montgomery march, that voting rights was not just a black issue, but it was an economic issue. And he said the greatest fear of the Southern aristocracy and others was for the masses of poor black people and poor white people and others to come together and form a powerful new voting block that could fundamentally shift the economic architecture of the nation. You are the continuation of that reality coming true in the South. When Bernie Sanders called, Senator Sanders uh, called, and we had a long conversation in his office, he asked me would I join him on a tour across the country. Uh, he asked me, as now the director of the Yale Center for Public Policy and Public Theology, if I would join him in helping to make the moral case because he understands as a senator, if we're going to win this, we've got to have more than just politicians. We've got to have some preachers and rabbis and imams because we have a moral crisis. So I stopped by this evening to say one thing as clearly as I know how. Living wages aren't a far-left idea. They are a fundamental moral issue. And some things aren't about left versus right and conservative versus liberal, but they are simply about right versus wrong. We're in a church sanctuary that was a sanctuary for justice. When the children of Israel were forced to make bricks with no straw for less than a living wage, God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, the political extremists of his day, four words, let my people go. And today we say to the politicians and to the corporate leaders that still hold people hostage for less than a living wage, let my people go. I've been a preacher. I've been a preacher for almost 40 years, and I can tell you that any religious or moral leader who asks you to pay your tithes to a congregation but won't challenge corporations that are stealing your wages is morally suspect. <clears throat> and is engaged in a form of theological malpractice. Isaiah chapter 10 says, Woe unto those who legislate evil and rob the poor of their rights and make women and children their prey. Jeremiah 22 in the Hebrew scriptures says, Doom to those who build their palaces by unrighteousness, who build their upper rooms by injustice, making their own people work for nothing and paying them nothing for their labor. Jesus said 
The first good news of the gospel must be to preach good news to the poor, those who've been made poor by economic exploitation. And James, his brother, said that the laborer is worthy of his or her hire. Getting paid what you deserve is a moral issue. It's what the Constitution says we are all aspire to when it says we the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, not establish injustice, but establish justice. And you can't establish justice when you have unequal and low-paid workers. Justice means giving people what they deserve. After the American Civil War, when African Americans served in Southern legislatures for the first time, along with white brothers and sisters, many poor whites and former slaves figured out they had all been used by the racist aristocracy. They figured out they had been hoodwinked, they had been bamboozled men. And so they came together, and the first thing they did was they rewrote constitutions all over the South, black and white together. And listen what North Carolina's constitution, rewritten in 1868, says. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all persons are created equal, not men, all persons are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, the enjoyment of the fruit of their own labor, and the pursuit of happiness. As far back as 1868, Keith, former black folk and white folk who came together and figured out that racism was an enemy to them all, they knew that labor rights and living wages and the enjoyment of the fruit of your own labor was the only way to overcome the vestiges of slavery. They understood it then. We must understand it now. Labor rights became a fundamental constitutional right, not in the turn of the century at the 1900s, but in 1868 in the South. That's why the reconstruction of the South was fought so hard. That's why they killed so many people to pull and tear black and white people from working together in 1877 and 1888 and on and so forth. This has been a pattern in our nation's history. Divide and conquer. We never were what we should have been in this country, but every step forward, every stride toward a more perfect union has been the result of people coming together, pushed together by a movement towards higher ground with justice for all. And living wages and labor rights has always been at the center of any movement that has pushed this nation forward. When Frances Perkins, a white social gospelist, took over as the first woman labor secretary under Franklin Delano Roosevelt, she told him, I'm coming here to put my faith in policy. And one of the parts of her faith that she wanted to put in policy was to demand a minimum wage even then and health care and social security. She was so pushy being on the inside that she made President Franklin Delano Roosevelt do a fireside chat and he said these words in the 1930s. No business which depends on its existence on paying less than a living wage to its workers has any right to even continue in this country. That's moral language. Somebody say moral language. We know what's right. That's moral language. It's wrong 
for the richest nation in history of the world to pay half of its, to pay so many millions of its workers less than a living wage. It's wrong that the majority of those in raw numbers are white. But it's also wrong that half, half, almost half of African-American workers make less than a living wage. And 60% of Latino workers make less than a living wage. It's just wrong. And it's wrong when women who already have to deal with the gender issue then have to turn around and deal with the low wage issue as well. It's wrong. It's wrong that down here in the South where some politicians still pit white workers against workers of color, that 50% of all workers make less than a living wage. It's wrong that after we won living wage campaigns across the South, state legislatures then intervened and override municipalities to keep wages down. It's wrong that some economists are saying that the way you deal with inflation is you keep wages low. It's wrong when when even county and city governments pass a $15 living wage, but then inside the language they say it won't happen for 10 years. It's wrong that greedy corporate criminals on Wall Street have gotten bailouts while many of you who've insisted on the just fruit of your labor have been locked up when you got in the streets. It's just wrong. It's wrong that we call workers essential during the pandemic, but then we continue to treat them like they were expendable. You're you're essential, but we ain't gonna pay your living wage. You're essential but we're not going to give you paid family leave. You're essential, but we're not going to give you health care. That is wrong and a damn shame in a nation like ours. You just heard the Reverend William Barber and workers speaking up at the Raise the Wage rally in Durham, North Carolina, Thursday, June 1st, 2023, sponsored by the Poor People's Campaign and Senator Bernie Sanders. This is On the Ground. I'm Esther Averam. Stay with us.
This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. And now I'm joined by our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn, the Morris Professor of History and African-American Studies at the University of Houston. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. Thank you for inviting me. And I should say, welcome on this weekend when we will be hosting you at the launch for your newest book, Revolting Capital, Racism and Radicalism in Washington, D.C., 1900 to 2000. We're very excited to host you on Saturday, June 3rd, from 6 to 9 p.m. at the all-new Festival Center in Adams Morgan here in Washington, D.C., 1640 Columbia Road. But I guess we'll get to that at the end. Most of my headlines this week are about U.S. issues, the debt ceiling, the Supreme Court, really dangerous ruling in this case that would seem to endanger the right to strike, the dangerous arrests, you know, more dangerous arrests of people peacefully protesting or exercising what we thought were our First Amendment rights. In this case, the people who raised bail funds for the people protesting at Cop City in Atlanta arrested in a real kind of military style SWAT operation, taking them into custody, you know, charging them with charity fraud. These are the stories that we're focusing on in our headlines today here from the U.S. But I want to definitely touch base in terms of what's happening in Ukraine and other spots around the world that you, you know, that we should focus on for the big stories of the week. Where would you like to start? Well, let's start in the global south, ironically enough. Relations between the United States and South Africa are plummeting precipitously. First of all, the United States is pressuring South Africa, believe it or not, to detain President Putin, assuming that he comes to South Africa in a few months for the BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa summit, which will be taking place in South Africa. South Africa, needless to say, is resisting. But perhaps even more profound than that, believe it or not, is the fact that the U.S. ambassador to South Africa charged a few days ago that South Africa, from its naval base at Simonstown, was shipping military supplies to Russia. He, in fact, said that he would bet his life on the veracity of his allegation. But according to the Mail and Guardian of South Africa, he is being forced to walk back that assertion. Indeed, according to the Mail and Guardian, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is in the process of reprimanding this ambassador for this allegation. But the bottom line is that the ties between South Africa and the United States are fraying as a result of Ukraine. And in some ways, that's emblematic of the relations between the global South generally and the United States as, as a result of the Ukraine crisis, because as is well known, many African nations in particular have resisted this demand that they observe sanctions against Russia, as we noted on this program previously, 
This has caused Congressional Black Caucus member and former House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Gregory Meeks of Southeast Queens to introduce legislation to sanction African nations that refuse to go along with the U.S. program in Ukraine. And speaking of the U.S. program in Ukraine, there is a news item from a few days ago that we should be talking about, it seems to me, for some days and weeks to come. I'm speaking of the story of neo-Nazis from Ukrainian territory attacking Russian territory with U.S. military materiel. Now, this is a story that actually appeared in the New York Times, which is as well known, is pro-U.S. intervention in Ukraine, pro-NATO intervention for that matter. Speaking of which, that's the latest wrinkle in U.S. proposals concerning Ukraine, enunciated by former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger on his 100th birthday a few days ago, where he suggested that Ukraine should be invited into NATO, which I had thought was the original red line as far as Russia was concerned. But apparently, there are those in Washington who would like to throw caution to the winds and escalate uh, this conflict uh, even more than they have in recent days, weeks, and months. Uh, Also, there is an upcoming meeting in Europe where we are told, according to the Wall Street Journal, uh, there will be so-called peace proposals enunciated uh, at this meeting. And apparently, invitations have been extended to President Lula, to President Xi of China, et cetera, but not to Russia. I don't see how you can settle this conflict without one of the main parties absent. Perhaps that's reflective of the kind of desperation that Washington feels as this escapade in Ukraine continues to go south. You know, speaking of desperation, I'm always curious i don't know if curious is the right word i'm i'm always somewhat amused actually at the hypocrisy and double standards of how in the way that corporate media keeps ratcheting up the the narrative the tensions right along with people like anthony blinken so i saw on thursday these reports of how i think it's lukashenko the head of uh, belarus was meeting with Putin and apparently there's this quote that they're passing around saying that uh, Lukashenko uh, invited countries to join Belarus and Russia and there would be nuclear weapons for everyone. (laughs) And I'm like thinking, what are they talking about? Like, I'm not sure the context of the quote, but certainly there's this effort to make Russia, Putin and his allies seem as unreasonable as possible. While at the same time, we know that Russia is encircled by nuclear weapons from Western European countries. So it's it's good for the goose, but not good for the gander. It's just this double talk and a lot of hypocrisy when whenever there's talk of Russia or its allies having nuclear weapons, while at the same time they are encircled by these same type of weapons from NATO 
Well, also worthy of mention is this drone attack on the center of Moscow, uh, not far distant from a residence of President Putin himself. Apparently, uh, there are those in Moscow who are downplaying this attack. Others feel that it's a dangerous escalation. In fact, I heard a Kremlin spokesperson suggest that Britain was implicated in this attack, which means that Britain, in a sense, has become a co-combatant, which could then lead to an attack on Britain. In other words, this conflict is tending to spiral out of control. It's not hyperbolic to suggest that if trends continue, we may be on the verge of World War III and a catastrophe so enormous that it's difficult to contemplate. In, in any case, there seems to be a downward spiral, both domestically and globally, with no bottom in sight. Well, that is not an optimistic note to leave that conversation on. So I will raise it a little by reminding people that we will host Gerald Horn on June 3rd from 6 to 9 p.m. for the launch of his newest book, Revolting Capital, Racism and Radicalism in Washington, D.C., 1900 to 2000. And we look forward to seeing you on June 3rd, Gerald. Ditto. Okay. I've been speaking to our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. Thank you for joining me, Gerald. Thank you. And that will do it for today's episode of On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. You can contact us, work with us, and support us, and listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook or Twitter or patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. The music we play this hour included Welcome to D.C. by Mambo Sauce, by Any Beat Necessary, Malcolm X Tribute by DJ Ajamu, and our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. Don't forget, Professor Gerald Horn launches his latest book, Revolting Capital, Racism and Radicalism in Washington, D.C., 1900 to 2000. That's June 3rd, Saturday, 6 to 9 p.m., 1640 Columbia Road in Washington, D.C. Get your tickets at WPFWFM.org. See you there. I'm Esther Ivarum. Until next time, keep raising your voice. Peace. On the Ground is a totally listener-sponsored, supported show, and we are in need of your support. If you rely on the show, if you listen to the show, you come to look forward to what we are able to offer every week, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. And you can also give on our website through PayPal or other means if you want to send a check. All that information is there. But please, please support us. I want to thank our supporters on Patreon so much. And for those who are already supporting, if you can tell a friend who you know would love to sign up, we need the support. Patreon.com forward slash on the ground show or go to on the ground show.org. Thank you.